Jesus' name, amen, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 28. I will begin at verse 18. I don't know if I heard crooked in the announcements, but we are not fasting Christian media. I, I might have heard that crooked, but if it was just me, then forgive me. But if anybody else heard that, we are listening to Christian media. And if you got some Christian movies or some preaching videos or something, uh, The Chosen, something like that, that is great to fortify yourself during this time. Uh, maybe I heard that crooked, but I just want to clear that up just in case anybody heard that. Matthew chapter 28, start at verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Let's all pray together. Jesus, I pray that you touch us today. God, as we're still gathering our minds and our thoughts together as we face a new year, Lord, that we would be in tune with you and whatever adjustments we need to be, Lord, to be in your will. God, that we would allocate proper time and effort and energy to do your will. Lord, last week as we discussed, Lord, being intimate and being close to you, I pray that you open our hearts today, Lord. Let our minds and our thoughts be receptive. Let our hearts be anointed to receive your word today. God, I pray for my mind and my mouth to be anointed, Lord, to say what you want me to say and to feed your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, rescue someone. Amen, amen. Let them know you're glad they're here today, and then you can be seated. We are on a rescue mission. We didn't ask for it, but there's an emergency going on right now with humanity, and we didn't sign up for this, but here we are. And so we've been given this commission, this great commission, and we often think or talk about evangelism, and many times we think in terms of numbers of people coming to Christ. If we were to talk to the average person, what do you think about uh, revival? We would think of this mass inflow of just people coming and just sticking and staying, and we don't know how it's happening, just the Lord is doing this great work, and we certainly know he's capable of doing that. But however, we should be thinking in terms of needs and the condition and the eternal future of an individual person. Not just of the masses rolling into a church service, but each one of those having specific needs and specific questions that they want answered and specific situations and problems that they may have. And so the church the incubator of the babies in Christ should be looking at those individuals and asking ourselves, what are those needs that we can minister to? Many times we say things like, well, the church should, and then we fill in the blank with whatever we think the church should be doing. The church should have this. The church should be doing that. The church, and we all typically know what that means, is that means either the pastor or the pastor and a few key leaders should put something into place. And yet we find over and over that the church is the body of Christ, Brother Hugo. It is the body. It is a, is a body that, that everything should be functioning and moving properly so that the health of the church can be there. He was testifying to me earlier about how God is miraculously healing that right arm and how much strength that right means to an individual and how God is restoring that. And he was talking about that in relation to the body of Christ and fully functioning. 
And so the body of Christ should be involved in evangelism. It should not ever be relegated to just the pastor or a few ministers or a few leaders in the church. And so the questions we need to ask as individuals that you need to ask as bodies of this church is what are the needs of this person, which person, your neighbor, your friends, your family, your students that you're going to school with, people that are around you, your mechanic, your, your, your boss, different people, people in your lives. What are the needs of this individual person? What questions do they have? Not what do I think they need to know about God, but what questions do they have about God? What questions do they have about eternity? How can I help them at the point of their need? What do they need? Do they need a church? Maybe they need a friend. Maybe they need some advice. Maybe they need somebody to help them out while they have a family member that's in dire needs, and so they need somebody to check their mailbox. Maybe they need a a dinner brought over to the house because there's a crisis or an emergency going on. What can I do to help them at the point of their need? What can I personally share with them? Well, a few things you can share is you can share your personal testimony. You can always share that. It's your testimony. It's what God has done for you. It's it's how did you come to Christ? What was happening in your life? What things were going on? What was God speaking to you when you were making that journey to him? What did that look like? What did that season of life look like? Your salvation, perhaps a healing. Maybe there was a supernatural healing that happened in your body that you could share with somebody that is going through a seemingly hopeless situation. Aren't we glad for doctors? Aren't we thankful for hospitals? Aren't we thankful for technology? However, we know that many times God will use those people to help facilitate healing, but we know that all healing comes from him. And he can use them or he can choose to bypass them and do his thing. And so we uh, know that we have a testimony of healing. We can also share hope, encouragement, friendship. In other words, we could share our life with somebody. This is a life that doesn't have always a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement. It can be a very rude world. It can be a very angry world. I would say it's not relegated to road rage. It's just rage. It could be parking spot rage. It could be Burger King rage. It could be standing at the line at the store rage. It could be I didn't get my way rage. It could be anything. It is just simply rage. We just see it played out on the road, but it's happening everywhere. The rage, it was already there before they got on the road. And so a a life that we can offer hope, we can offer encouragement, we can offer uh, help for somebody, whether we are able to help them here or whether it is something that can help them in eternity, we are able to do that. And again, we can offer friendship in a life and in a world where where people are becoming more and more isolated. We're having more and more friends, according to Facebook. You have thousands of friends, but who's going to help you when you run out of gas in the middle of the night? See how many of those thousands will help you. Get a flat tire on the side of the road when it's raining out, And get a hold of one of those thousand friends and see really who your friends are. If you have more than one handful of those kind of friends, you are a blessed person. And so we can easily be a friend to somebody and easily be that person that just lights up a person's life because you become that friend. You can share prayer. You can share something in the supernatural with somebody that can help them beyond what we can do. We all know that James talks about not telling somebody to go and be that warm and filled. If somebody has a need, just don't say, I'll pray for you. God bless you. I'll make sure that we turn in a prayer request card for you. But still do that. But while you do still do that, help them to get a tank of gas. Help them to have a meal. Help them to do something as you're praying for them. So share prayer with them. Let them see God show up in their life. 
give an opportunity for them to know that when you prayed for them and after you leave that meeting and after you've done your part to help, that you've also prayed and God has shown up so that they can see that there is a supernatural loving God that wants to share his life with them, that wants to show them his love and wants to show what he's capable of doing. So it's not all dependent on you. It's not just what you can do, but you can do just what you can do. But then you invite Christ to come in and then they can see what he can do. And so we offer prayer to people. We offer to pray with them and for them. And then we offer scripture. It is still the good news. It is still the good news. And so the good news is God is still able to heal. The good news is God is still a healer. Two days ago, I went to Steve Harris's room and I prayed the prayer of faith. As I prayed for him, I remembered a man named Buck. Buck was a guy that went into the hospital not long after I started pastoring in Circleville 24 years ago. I went into a hospital, and he was in ICU. And as I went in there, I asked the nurses, how is he doing? And they said, we're just trying to keep him comfortable. If you have any medical understanding at all, you know what that means. I went in. I put my hand on him. I prayed the prayer of faith. And I left after praying, and I didn't hear anything for a couple of days, and so I went back to check on him. I went back to check on him, and this man of faith was surprised to see him sitting up in bed. Oh, look at me like you've never done that. You've prayed that it doesn't rain and you leave with an umbrella. Come on. And so sometimes people of faith still wonder if God's going to come through because as, so far for me I'm not at 100% with my my prayers being answered the way I prayed them I'm not there yet what I didn't expect is I was sitting there the the the, the person the the nurse that was there working on him as I walked in and I saw him sitting up I was excited until this guy grabbed a tube in his nose and pulled out about four feet of it and I realized I'd come in about 30 seconds too soon. Buck stood up in bed, and we got to talk, and I got to, to, to just talk about things, and I was still amazed at what I had seen two days previously and what I was looking at now. Easter service, Buck was at our church, sitting in the back of the church, coming in and worshiping God with us. I told that story to Terry and to to. Steve's sister-in-law and, and Steve Croner was there. And I told that, that same story that what God is able to do, but we're going to trust his sovereignty. Can I tell you that the good news is that we have hope after this life. Now, let me give you a little bit of news that's not good. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it is a statistic. Statistically, Every person in, in Franklin County, 100% of them will die. Now, it's the same statistic in Pickaway County, Ross County, Fairfield, Fayette, Madison. I mean, so I'm just trying to tell you something, just a sobering thought here. None of us make it out of here alive. So the good news is plan A is God can come through with a miracle and raise us up off of a deathbed. But there's also miracle number two that if he chooses not to, we have a miracle of having the hope that Steve right now is still alive and well and he doesn't need that broken body anymore and he's rejoicing, and he's gone on to his reward that he will never have pain again. He will never have sorrow again. He will never have fear. He will never have disappointment. What he has worked for these last few years, not that we earn it by our works, but 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 we do, by the grace of God, we do serve him and have some obedience to Christ and obedience to his word. And I can have good news that whether he healed him like he did Buck or whether he chose not to and said, I'm going to heal him a different way, 
I'm going to heal him in a permanent way. That I'm going to take him now and he's going to be healed in a way that he'll never be sick again. That is great news. And so we offer people good news. We offer people that, that God can help your finances. God help can help your family. He can help your habit. He can help your drug addiction. He can help your alcoholism. He can mend together your broken families. He can do all of these things and more on this earth. But also, no matter how bad those things are, there is still life after this. And there is still hope after this. That is great. This is great news. And I find this in Scripture that tells me there is good Good news and I want to share it. As we go back to Matthew 18, we're seeing, or Matthew 28, we see that this is after the resurrection of Jesus and, and this is after he returns and it's the last thing that Matthew records him saying that, that we call this the, the great commission. It's the big deal. And so this should be a no-brainer for any church of any denomination. This is the big deal. This is the calling. This is what we have to get right. We may hit a couple notes wrong. We may be offbeat. We may, we, I may stumble over a few words. There, there, there's a lot of things we can get wrong in the church. We can have half the church uh, heat unit out. But we can't get this commission thing wrong. We can't even, we have to make sure we don't just know it and can quote it and then still not do it. It is a commission. It is a commandment. It is something that he's saying, this is, what, this is your job description. You are commissioned to do this. Anybody in public service, a police officer, fire department, EMS, they have a commission. Are you a commissioned officer? Are you a commissioned firefighter? Are you, are you commissioned? Once you're commissioned, you're sworn in. And you're expected to be able to perform these duties. This is the great commission. And I promise you, this church will have that right. Or die trying. We can't get this wrong. We can't have a pretty building and a beautiful choir and, and, and great instruments and, and everything is just great in the church and then absolutely fail at this great commission. Everybody say go. We got to... We gotta take Jesus with us. That's 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 the commission here. We've gotta we've gotta go find them. We've gotta we've gotta go reach people. We gotta find them. We gotta we gotta go to where they are. Not there are some people that you know in your life that have no intentions of ever walking into a church. I've personally talked to people that said I can't go to church. The roof would cave in on me. What they're saying is I'm so bad. If I walked into a church, Jesus would judge me on the spot and kill me. Now, they're joking when they say it in most cases. But you can't stop me from taking Jesus into my office, into my workplace, into my neighborhood, into my mechanic shop, and into the store, into the checkout line. And I think that's the plan. So we can go. Instead of just asking people to come, everybody say go. And he says to go. And what do we do when we go? We teach. We baptize. We teach them to observe all things, the things that he has commanded. And so, and so we share our lives and we, and we have some scriptures that we know that we're able to teach and show some people some biblical plans for salvation, not just what you think, not that you think all good people go to heaven and, and, and not that you think that certain mean people don't get to go to heaven. You've got to give them biblical foundational truths that they can believe that is the word of God. And so you go, you teach, we baptize we teach them to observe all things, and we show them where God is at work in their life. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If the main mission of Jesus was to seek and to save lost people, it should also be ours. Amen? The typical believer spends most of their time and energy trying to keep themselves saved. It should be common for us to be consistently reaching lost people and making them into disciples. This great commission will become the culture of this church. 
And it will become my personal mantra. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so what we're going to be doing this year is we're going to be working on some scriptures that we can distribute to everybody. Look, here's a couple scriptures on baptism you might want to know. Here's a couple scriptures on on. On re- repentance, you might want to know and be able to memorize and recite. Stick them on your refrigerator. Put them on the dash of your car. Uh, only read those though while you're stopped at a light. Don't. Well, no, not at a light because they don't have to honk at you if you don't leave that stoplight when the light turns green. But but we, the places where you can memorize certain scriptures. Not not every scripture on repentance. Not every scripture on baptism. Not every scripture on receiving the Holy Ghost. Not every scripture on fear and anxiety and different things. But to give you some categorized three or four scriptures that you can begin to memorize in some of these major categories so you can give an account for why you're so happy. So you can give an account of why the news is so wrecked and the politics are whacked and the economy's a wreck and, 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 and world the condition of the world is so uncertain and unstable and you walk into your office whistling, people wonder, what is wrong with you? Don't you know what's going on in our world? Yes, I know not only what's going on in this world, but I know what's going on in that world. And so that's why I'm whistling because I know how this ends and I know whose team I'm on and I know where I am in this situation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have fulfillment. Why? Because I know how this ends and I know whose team I'm on. And so I'm going to be ready to have a few scriptures memorized to share with someone and to do it with meekness and fear. In other words, to do it with tact and to do it in love. Please don't ever use scriptures to just win a debate. Don't use it to prove somebody wrong. You can usually feel when somebody's trying to lead you some kind of kind of road to try to set you up. When I start feeling that, I'll, I'll generally just kind of ease on out of that conversation because I feel like what they're really wanting to do is to try to argue. Now, should we sometimes have uh, a, a, a spirited uh, conversation about Scripture? Yes, there's room for that. But it's, it's different to do that and try to, try to, try to arrive at some truth. And it's a totally different circumstance to get in some situation where you know somebody's not looking for truth. They're, they're, they're just looking for a fight. And so we do this with tact. We, 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 we give them scriptures to try to lead them and guide them, and we do it in love. Matthew 9, 36 says this, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Everybody look, look at your neighbor and say, If it's going to be, it's up to me. It's got to be a decision that you make. You've got to be involved in this harvest. You've got to do something to help. You, I don't know your neighbors. I don't know your friends. Now, as that happens, they may come to church and find out that I know them. Or maybe they have a common interest with somebody else. Or maybe they used to work with somebody else in this church. And so everybody starts to be involved with that process. Everybody starts to be involved. But, but, but you've got to feel a sense of responsibility. And so the harvest is large, the Bible says here, that, that the harvest is plenteous, that there's, there's a lot of people to be saved, there's a whole lot out there for us to do, that there are so many opportunities. But how do you look at that? Well, you can look at your office and say, I'm the only person serving God out of hundreds of people. I went to a high school where, to the best of my knowledge, I was the only one that I knew. Now, there may have been others. I just didn't have classes with him, didn't have a relationship with him, so didn't know. But from what it looked like, I was the only one that was, uh, now maybe others went to church, but as far as somebody that was really trying to live it, I really couldn't find anybody else that I knew that was doing it. All the rest of them were partying, and, and they were some of them were good guys, good girls, but they were still partying and doing things. And So it, it felt a little daunting. You might feel like you're the only one in your neighborhood. You may feel like you're the only one in your office. You, you may feel like you're the only one, and that, that can feel daunting sometimes. And, but, but the Bible says the, the harvest is large. I heard a story one time of, 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 and this is just a story. It's just an analogy, but the story is that these, 
these two salesmen were shipped over to this island. And these were shoe salesmen. And so I've been a shoe salesman before. Your husband, my father-in-law was a shoe salesman, so we have a little bit of that in, in, in common. And so they sent these two shoe salesmen to this island, and they get off the boat, and they start looking around. One calls back and says, send the boat back. Nobody here wears shoes. You're wasting my time and yours. Send me to a different island. Nobody here wears shoes. So what's the point? So he was given up. The other guy got off the boat. He looked around. He walked through the streets. He called back and said, get a boat here as quickly as you can, full of shoes. Nobody here has got any, and there's nothing but opportunity here. So it depends on how you look at it. You can look at this world and say, man, nobody's serving Jesus. Well, that means there's a huge harvest. That means that there's a lot of opportunity. That means there's a lot of people that probably don't know how great he is. And so we can introduce him. So it's not such a bad thing that you're the only one in your office. You're the lone light in that office. You're the lone light in that neighborhood. You're the lone light in your school. So you get to be the one to spread that. There's all kinds of opportunity. There's a harvest there waiting on you. But the laborers are few. Talk to any business owner today. Ask them what their biggest problem is. Staff. We have a Starbucks in the town that I live in. You have to drive up to see if it's open or not. No joke. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Well, what's their posted hours? That's irrelevant. They're only open if they have enough staff. And if they don't, we're closed. Because the laborers are few. You see, we're in such an entitlement age right now. I'm doing all right without doing anything. I'm getting by. Certainly that wouldn't creep into the church, would it? There's a reason why I looked down when I said that. I don't want to make eye contact with anybody. You see... I don't know what it's outside right now, 18 degrees. These furnaces or these furnace are really working hard right now to keep it regulated in here because the temperature outside affects the temperature in here. So 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 the so the heater has to work harder because of the ambient or the outside temperature. And likewise in the summertime, the hotter it gets, the harder the air conditioners have to work to maintain a, a certain temperature. Do you know the church is not much different? Do you know we have to we have to work harder. We have to pray harder. The things that the more things are effective out there, it wants to creep into the church. The world's morals, the world's ideas, the world's apathy, their their feeling of I don't care. All that is trying always to creep into the church. So sometimes it's going to sound like, man, I'm getting pretty excited about this, or I'm getting kind of frustrated about this, or man, Pastor Front uh, seemed frustrated today. Well, you know what that is? That's me trying to turn up the temperature a little bit because I see the outside temperature creeping in, and I know what the church should be. I know that the church should be the same yesterday, today, and forever. It shouldn't change. I know that we should have the mindset of Christ. I know that we should be doing the Great Commission. I know that we should be laborers in Christ, and when I see that same entitlement, mentality out there kind of creeping into the church that we think we should show up and God should just pour our spirit out. We think we should show up and sing a couple songs and if we shout hallelujah three times then God should show up. If we shout the name of Jesus, it's just like abracadabra. If we just don't pray and just say Jesus, then all of a sudden he's going to show up. That's not how it works. Is it wrong to shout Jesus? No, but you got to be firing up the place before you shout Jesus too and not just wait for that to think that that's going to be the moment where something great happens. And so the laborers, according to Jesus, 2,000 years ago are sparse. Boy, I'm glad that's not the case anymore. Of course, I'm being facetious. 
Of course, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. We're more desperate now for laborers. Our whole culture doesn't know how to have a work ethic. So would we think that just automatically we would come to church and that our world would not have a decent work ethic, not show up on time, not do things on time, not work hard, not understand the value of hard work and labor and saving and and, and planning and all the stuff that, that we would just come to a church and all of a sudden in church we would become all those things in the house of God? You are the quietest bunch of people that I've talked to in quite a while. Bishop would say that means you're thinking. Everybody say laborers. It's a cool word, isn't it? It means work. Laborers just kind of roll off the tongue better. Are you a laborer? Is that French for something? I love to listen to L talk. He's got that. Even when he's speaking English, it still sounds kind of Spanish. And so I... Everything he says is funnier, and it's cooler when he says it. I can say it. It's not as cool. It's not as funny. But L says it, and it's great. Wish I was him. Say laborers in English. Say it in Spanish. What is it in Spanish? You got to do that into the microphone, man. That was powerful. That was powerful. Everybody close your eyes and feel this in the spirit. When he says... Trabajadores. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Sounds a lot better than work. Sweat, grit, struggle, pain, sacrifice, being misunderstood, spending effort and energy that I may not get a return on my investment. I may be misunderstood. I may not be received. Oh, that doesn't sound like what he just said. Bubba, hubba, hubba. It sounds laborers. He's looking for workers. He's looking for somebody that will come and roll up their sleeve and see what needs to be done and say, I'll do it. I'll step up. I'll be there on time. I'll make sure it happens. I'm going to look at my friends, my family, my relatives. I'm going to go into the harvest. I may not know what I'm getting myself into, but I'm going to work, and I'll find a way to make it happen. Why? Because they need to be rescued. They don't even know what situation they're in, but I need to go to where they are. They don't even know what their plight is. They don't even know what their destiny is. They don't even know what they're heading into. Somebody's got to save them. So the laborers are few. Why? Because it's work. And we're in a generation that doesn't know how to work for the most part. I promise you, you could get a couple of 60-year-old men into a room and work circles around a lot of younger men these days. How do I know? Because I had them. I've got them here. I've got some of the elders, I've got some of the older gentlemen that show up when they're sick. They show up when their legs are hurting, their backs hurting. They show up when they just came from work. They show up in these conditions. Why? Because, Pastor, you said if you, you needed some help at the church, so here I am. Well, didn't you work all day? Yeah, but I'm here. Don't you have plans? Yes, we canceled them. Don't you have a back pain? Don't you have some procedure getting ready to have done? Yeah, but I can come and do what I can. That's the generation back then. That's the World War II generation that lied about their age to go to war. How many of you remember Jake Napier? Jake and Irma. Jake was a member of this church. I talked to him before he passed. I talked to him just a few years ago in Alabama where they ended up moving to be near where my mom and dad's property was down there. And we'd go see him every time we're there. And now we go down we see Irma when we're down there. But Jake starts. Jake was a character, man. And so come to find out, Jake lied about his age to join the army. He was like 16. They found out. They busted him. So they kicked him out. So he went over here to Fort Hayes, north end of Columbus here, and he did some stuff with ROTC and some stuff. So then as soon as he turned 18, he joined again. Now he's legal. That guy was in the army, the navy, and the Marines. No, the Army. Yeah, Army, Navy, and Marines. Lied about his age to go into the military, to go fight. 
to go be a soldier. What a laborer. If anybody, there, I bet there's nobody that talked to my dad more about Christ, and Nudie did her fair share too. But Jake, every time I had a chance, Jake would tell me how he cornered my dad in Alabama while they're cutting grass and doing some things, and he would start asking my dad some questions. Jake understood the Great Commission. Jake was a soldier. Jake was a laborer. See, laborers are few because it's hard work. It's not only hard work, it's emotional work. Because you start to spend yourself. You start to get emotionally connected to people. We have a philosophy that we give to give. I know sometimes we, we give the scripture, and I don't anymore. I used to. I used to give the scripture before an offering sometime. Come on, give, and it shall be given. Press down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. So come on, if you'll give today, God will restore that. God will send somebody into your life that will give into you that it'll, it'll just run over. Well, first of all, and here's what I learned. So this isn't a criticism. If you ever hear this and you're at some special meeting or somebody hears a special speaker and they say it, don't judge them. Don't get on their case. I've said it myself. I don't say it anymore, and here's why. That whole passage is about forgiveness and restoration. That whole passage is about extending grace and mercy to somebody. Give and it shall be given. Press down, shaken over. And, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Because if you go on to read that, it talks about reconciliation with your brother. The problem is when we use that for scripture, we secretly send a message that if you give, you'll get back a lot more than you gave. When all of a sudden, that's an investment plan. And he just gave a scripture that if I give, I'll get. So let me tell you from your pastor. We give because God has blessed us. And first of all, we want to return his portion back to him that he doesn't need. He doesn't need your money. You remember that beep that used to come on your radio? Beep. This is only a test. This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. If there were a true emergency, we'd be making an announcement at this point. It's a test. He only uses that as a test. To see if we will return his portion back to him. And, and so uh, without getting into all that, I, I just, I've watched God be so faithful. I've watched him. I've, I've seen God do amazing, crazy, amazing things in my life financially because we have just settled that. We have just settled that. It's not an option for us. It's not something we consider and talk about. It is just law in our house. And we have watched God do crazy, crazy things. That's probably a lesson and a message for another time. But I'm using that as a message, to, as, as an example to say this. So we give to give. We give because we're blessed. And so we just want to be a funnel. We want that to flow through us. And so as he's given to us freely, we also give. And so we want to be an example of Christ. We want to show the love of Christ by being generous in our, in our giving and giving back to the kingdom and giving to others. And so we give to give. Here's what I had to learn. And it's taken me a while, and I haven't always been good at this. And I had to learn this with some very hard knock lessons. But here's what I've had to learn. That as we give to give, we also have to love to love. Because we also have a tendency that as I love, I kind of like that to be returned. I kind of like expectations if I'm going to give something so valuable. I don't like to just throw it out there for anybody. But if it's God's love going through me, do I really need to be stingy with it? If he's got plenty more, if I understand that I'm giving his love without expectation, 
if I'm given his love without return, if I'm given his love and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm helping to to share the love of Christ, then I can be free with that. The problem is many times I have had in the past, and I try to fight now, and I think I'm doing a better job at it now, but but we, we can't have any expectation of love in return. We can't have any expectation of loyalty. We can't have any expectation of commitment. We, 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 we love with the love of Christ. So if we do that, how many of you have ever prayed that, God, help me to love with your love. Help me to love like you love. Has anybody but me ever prayed that? How was his love returned? If you're not sure, watch the passion of the Christ. And you'll see how he was accused. He was mocked. He was made fun of. He was ridiculed. He was he was chased. They 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 captured him at the at the garden. They accused him. They strung him to a post. They beat him raw. They hang him on a cross, strip his clothes off, and prayed him through the town. Shame him. And watched perhaps some of the same people that he had healed stand in a courtyard and yell, crucify him. Give us the thief. Give us Barabbas. Give us the one that was causing an uprising in the area against the Roman Empire. Give us him. Give us the troublemaker. But take Jesus. And so many loved him and followed him faithfully. Let's not forget that. But many turned when the loaves and fish ran out, and some men with leprosy didn't even return to say thank you for healing them. When we love with his love, we love unconditionally. And I'm still learning this lesson. I haven't always passed the test. But we have to understand if we don't pass this test that the harvest is too large to give up for any reason because there are still so many to reach. 1 Corinthians 9.22, To the weak I became as weak, Paul said, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that, by, that I might by all means save some. Everybody say all. He says all things. And then he says all means. And what's the fruit out of that? Some. I know it's a trite statement, but you can't win them all. It's true in this too. So when you don't understand, Paul had the same situation. Understand Paul didn't win everybody. Understand that Paul stood before a king and gave a, gave a great testimony and a great message. And one of the saddest scriptures in, in, the, in the Bible is when King Agrippa looks at him and says, Almost. Oh, you almost had me. Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was that close to being saved or lost. He chose wrong. Paul didn't win him. Paul's traveling through the through the towns and the streets with his partner, with his fellow evangelists, and, and then he writes back and tells Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world. A disciple. An apostle, he, he turns, not apostle, but, but he's traveling with Paul, and he, he turns his back. He's traveling with Paul, and he decides to turn back, and Paul says, send me some help because Demas has forsaken me. It's funny how, whether it's prophetic or if it just happens this way, it's funny how certain names mean certain things that you see that person becoming that later. It's very interesting if you look up the name Demas in Scripture because it means popular. Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world. I want to be popular. I don't want people to dislike me. I want people to want to be around me. I want to be liked. But more than any of that, I want to be popular with him. 
take this whole world, but give me Jesus. And you'll have an opportunity to bear that out, whether you really believe that or not. There will be times that you'll be able to really feel like if you really believe that or not, because you'll have those moments in your life. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. He says in this passage, I made all things to all men. That by all means, in other words, you got to be flexible. You gotta learn how to pivot. You're gonna have to be available on certain nights when 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 you didn't want to be available. You wanted to do this, but that person you're trying to reach is gonna be only available on this night. You have to be flexible. You have to be relatable. You have to try to connect with people. You have to meet them on their terms, not trying to bring them into the church culture, bring them to church. Eventually, yes, that will, will probably unlikely happen, but you gotta meet them where they are. You gotta to talk to them about their needs. You gotta be around their conversations. You have to be around them, and sometimes the conversation isn't holy. Everybody say inclusive. That word's really overworn right now, and I don't think that, that the Bible, I think the Bible is very inclusive. Anybody can come and follow it. The church, the, the Bible is not inclusive from the standpoint that you can be and stay anything you want and then still call yourself a believer or still think you're saved. That's not inclusivity. What, what is being inclusive is, is when anybody can come and be included and move and change into the culture of Christ and to the obedience of Christ. Anybody can be inclusive. And so we have to make sure as Christians, I don't pick, I just want to, you know, this guy here, He's a good guy. How many of you have ever heard somebody say it and you've said it yourself? You know, that per they would make a great Christian. Generally, that's somebody that is well-behaved. They're nice. They have their stuff together. They have their life together. They have their finances together. They have a, a, a beautiful family. It's, it's generally the, 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 model, the model person or family that we say that to. Yet we don't look at some that were less than that and say, oh, they'd be a great addition to our church. Man, I hope we can win them. But we should. That's who Paul was. That's who the disciples were. That's who some of us were. Look around. We didn't always look this way. We didn't always act this way. We weren't always this nice. Some of us still aren't. Just kidding. It's a joke. But we're all on the journey. We're all trying to be perfected in Christ. And so he's saying be flexible, be relatable, be inclusive. That you might save some. You do all this to save some. Yes. Because we're trying to rescue. 1 Corinthians 9.22. To the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might have all means save some. I just read that. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Everybody say wise. I'm not even sure what a soul is. Are you? I generally do. I know there's a spiritual component that we have. I know this is flesh. I get that. Soul, where is it? How big is it? Does it look like you? Can you see through it? Your soul leaves your body. Can you see it? Can it pass through walls or does it hit the wall? Does it have to go through doors? Can it eat food? If so, does it just, can you see it? Or does it disappear when you eat it? Jesus came back in a glorified body and ate some things. I don't know what that all did. Anybody figure that out? He eats, and then he walks through a wall, disappears. Did he take the bread with him, or did it just disappear? I don't know how that works. Anybody think about that? I, I'm a little twisted, so I think about things that most people don't, but I just want to take you on that journey with me. However, I do know what a person is. Because I know some people. I also know that every one of them has a soul. But I find that it's easier to develop a burden in a relationship with a person than a soul. Because they have a face, they have a name, and I can have a relationship with a person. Sometimes the concept of a soul can be just so vague 
but a person is standing in front of you. Well, let's pray for the souls of China. Let's pray for the souls all over the world. Let's pray for the souls in Franklin County. Let's pray for the souls in the state of Ohio. And that is just so vague. But when we start praying for people and having a burden for people and not just souls, let's pray for a burden for souls. It's this real spiritual thing that we begin to think about. This 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 spiritual mass of, of these individual inside people. And that sometimes is hard to really carry a burden for. Until I say we need to pray for a burden for people. When I see people, you see names and faces and neighbors and co-workers. Because you're going to bring a person to full conversion. That person has a soul that will live forever somewhere. This passage says that to do that in that conversion process, you're going to need to be spiritual. You're going to need to be courageous. You're going to need to be intentional. He that winneth souls is wise. You're going to have to be spiritual, courageous, intentional, strategic. You're not going to win this person the same way you won that one. Totally different person, totally different needs, totally different situation, totally different time frame. Because it says that he that winneth souls is wise. Musicians make their way to the platform. The Chilean mining accident began on the 5th of August 2010 with a cave-in at the San Jose Copper Gold Mine. 33 men ranging in age from 19 to 63 were trapped 2,300 feet underground and three miles from the mine's entrance. Three separate drilling teams Nearly every Chilean government ministry, the United States Space Agency, NASA, and a dozen corporations from around the world cooperated in the rescue. A group of 33 men were trapped deep inside a thick dust cloud caused by the rockfall, blinded the miners for as much as six hours. Initially, the trapped miners tried to escape through ventilation shafts, but the ladders required by safety codes were missing. Rescuers attempted to bypass the rockfall at the main entryway through alternative passages, but found each route backed and blocked by fallen rock or threatened by ongoing rock movement. After a second collapse on the 7th of August, rescuers were forced to use heavy machinery while trying to gain access via ventilation shafts. Concerns that additional attempts to pursue this route would cause further geological movement halted attempts to reach the trapped miners through previously existing shafts and other means to find the men were sought. It's not always easy to find somebody and reach them for Christ. Sometimes you're going to have to pivot. Sometimes you're going to have to determine that this doesn't work for this individual. I need to try something else. Exploratory boreholes about 6.3 inches in diameter were drilled in an attempt to find the miners. Out-of-date mine shafts, maps, complicated rescue efforts, and several boreholes drifted off target due to drilling depth and hard rocks. On the 19th of August, one of the probes reached a space where the miners were believed to be trapped, but found no signs of life. This plan suffered major setbacks due to the difficulty of aiming a large drill at such a small target. Furthermore, the hardness of the rock caused by the drill bit to wander from its intended course, and it then needed to be removed, resized, and repositioned, slowing the drilling progress. Many family members of the miners initially had high hopes for this rig, but it was forced to reduce its drill size and so lagged behind the other attempts. On the 22nd of August, the eighth borehole broke through at a depth of 2,257 feet at a ramp near the shelter where the miners had taken refuge. For days, the miners had heard drills approaching 
and had prepared notes which they attached to the tip of the drill with insulation tape when it poked into their space. They also tapped on the drill before it was withdrawn and these taps could be heard on the surface. Hours later, video cameras sent down the borehole captured the first grainy black and white silent images of the miners. One of the men on site said this, when the first miner emerges safe and sound, I hope the, all the bells of the churches of Chile ring out forcibly with joy and hope that faith has moved mountains. When Esteban Rojas stepped out of the rescue capsule, he immediately knelt on the ground with his hands together in prayer, then raised his arms above him in adoration. The final rescue effort to the retrieve the miners began on Tuesday the 12th of October. Each man was winched to the surface one at a time in a specially built capsule. On August the 13th, after spending 69 days, more than two months, nearly half a mile underground, 33 miners were rescued lifted out to safety one by one. If we could stand together. So I'm not going to ask you if you know a lost soul because you might drift into this very spiritual place that I would go myself. So I'm just going to ask, do you know a person that's trapped? Do you, do you know a person that doesn't even know they're imprisoned? They don't even know they're lost. Maybe they do. Maybe there's an addiction they just can't seem to break from it. They don't even know that there's a God that can help them. They don't even know that where they are weak, he is, he is strong. They don't even know that there's a supernatural component that can help them to defeat this once and for all. To make and mold them into what God has designed them from their birth to be. You do have the means to rescue them. It'll take some work, some labor, some strategy, some burden. My fear is that the church has lost their burden. My fear is that the church globally, across denominations, is more interested in being blessed and having the blessings of the Lord on them than they are carrying a burden. I'm not talking about a crushing burden that just you can't move and you can't breathe. The Bible says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It doesn't say you don't have one, you shouldn't carry one. It says, My yoke for you is easy and my burden for you is light. A yoke was made specifically for a certain animal, and in some cases, if you had the wealth, you had that yoke built for that exact animal. Not only a donkey, but that donkey. Not only an ox, but for that ox. The reason why is because a yoke is a thing that goes around the neck that hooks up to some ropes and some straps and some chains, and it's used to work. It's used to pull. It's used to help that animal to pull something. That yoke is attached to a burden. It's, that yoke is attached to something to help it get some work done. But you see, if you take a yoke that doesn't fit, you take a yoke for, for an ox and put it on a donkey, that thing is so big it starts to slide down over its shoulders, and now it takes these little steps, and it starts to put pressure points, and, and starts to wear, and starts to give blisters, and that thing is bound and can't move. Likewise, you take a, 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 a donkey's yoke and put it on a yoke or put it on an ox, it may not even hardly go over its head. And if it does, 
It's going to be stuck so far up on its necks, it's going to have the same effect. It can't pull. It's fatiguing the animal. It's choking it because that yoke was not made for that individual. God's not going to put my yoke on you. He's not going to give me your yoke. Mine's made for me. Yours is made for you, whatever yours is. But it's for you to work. It's for you to get something done. It's for you to have a burden. Our Christianity was not designed to remove us from all burdens so we could just sing great songs and just be free all the time. We do sing great songs and we are free, but we are free to do something for the Lord. Question is, are you ready to follow the great commission and go? Are you willing to seek and save the lost? Are you able to share the hope that you've been given? Are you a worker? Are you willing to do all you can, even if it means you'll just save some of them? Are you, ex- are you willing to exercise some wisdom to see somebody saved? Today this altar's open. If your answer to that is yes, then I would ask that you come and just begin to tell the Lord, God, I want to rescue a person this year. As you're coming to this altar, I'm hoping that you'll say, Jesus, help me to win one person this year. Pastor, are you kidding me? We're running out of time. Only one person? Yes. We're going to pull them out of the shaft one at a time. One at a time. And as we look back, if all of us pull somebody out one at a time, think about what the numbers will be that we will have added to the kingdom. And if next year we do the same, but but all I'm asking is that you look at just one person, not a soul, because that person has a soul. Who will the Lord place in your heart? Who is the Lord going to show you as you're at this altar? Is it your neighbor? Is it your co-worker? Is it a relative? Go on ahead and begin to lift up your voice and cry out to God and have him begin to place a burden and a yoke on you to give you the ability to give you the ability to rescue someone to give you the opportunity to reach somebody.